are going to be looking at the second part of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. So if you haven't listened to the first part, uh, I encourage you to go back and do that first. And if you've already listened to it, then we are going to jump right back in where we left off in Exodus chapter 14. And today we'll begin at verse 19. It says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. So this cloud that the Israelites had been following through the desert, and the angel of God that was there in that cloud, went and stood between the Israelites and the Egyptians. Now this actually left me with a pretty big question, which was why did this happen at all? In other words, why was it necessary for God to have this point where he is blocking the Egyptians from getting to the Israelites? Because if God was masterminding this whole process and this was his plan, then why bother to have this time of waiting rather than simply having the Egyptians set out after the Israelites later so that the Israelites uh, were already halfway across the Red Sea before the Egyptians ever showed up? To me, that seems like it would make more sense in timing. So there had to be some reason why God wanted this time period of the Egyptians being held back right before the Israelites. And as I thought about it, I remembered what we talked about last week in the first part of this passage, which was how the Israelites reacted when the Egyptians got there. That they were scared, feared for their lives, and was telling Moses, we're going to die, the Egyptians have come to kill us. And I think that was important because up until this point, what the Israelites thought was happening was that Moses was leading the Israelites into the desert to sacrifice, make sacrifices to God, and then they would be going back to Egypt. And it really wasn't until this moment when the Israelites were able to see the Egyptian army coming after them to kill them, that they realized that they weren't going to go back to Egypt. And really, that going back was no longer an option for them. The only way to go was forward. And I think God allowed this time to happen in order to get that message across to the Israelites, that they aren't going to be going back to Egypt. That part of your life is over, and you need to now go where I am leading you. That's what God is saying to them. And God does that in our life sometimes as well. When sometimes we're holding on to the past, we're holding on to things, and, and oftentimes we're trying to make our lives go back to that time. And we think, oh boy, those good old golden years, if I could just go back to how things were back then, then everything would be great. And God tries to show us that we can't go back to that time. To that, that time is gone. 
We can't get it back. And so we need to be able to let those things go so that God can move us into something new. But sometimes we're really stubborn and we don't want to let those things go. But part of following God is to be able to follow wherever he leads us, including leading us away from the past into the future. And so if we're going to be followers of God, we have to let God show us when we need to let things go. And realize that that time, it was great for that time, but we need to move past it. Or maybe that time was terrible, but rather than trying to live our life making up that time and and getting revenge and, and showing everyone who was involved in that how wrong they were, instead we need to let that go too. That time is gone, and sometimes we need to just let it go so that God can continue to lead us to where he wants us to be. And I think that was why God allowed this time of the threat of the Egyptians being so visible to the Israelites so that they could realize that going back to Egypt wasn't an option anymore, and they needed to let that go. So then we get to verse 21, which is where the really cool thing happens. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. This is that big part, that uh, really iconical moment where the Red Sea is divided for the Israelites to go across. And it never really struck me until I was reading it this last time that the Israelites went by, went, went through that sea on dry ground. Not just that the water was you know, divided so they could get across, but the place where they were walking, that ground wasn't even wet. It was dry. A place where the sea had been just moments before was absolutely dry ground. Not even wet ground. To me, that's that really shows just the power of God and the fact that this work that he does for the Israelites, he does to its fullest extent. That he didn't just divide the waters so they could get across, but he divided it in such a powerful way that the ground they were walking on was dry. Sometimes we forget how powerful the God we serve is, or that when he is going to do a work in our life, that because he's so great and we're not, that it's really just going to be a little bit here or a little bit there. But when we have that kind of mindset, we really do put God in a box and limit how much and how great of works we allow him to do in our life simply from a lack of faith. For some reason, we think, well, God isn't going to do some great work in in my life, so I'll be happy with just a little work here or a little work there. But that should never be the kind of faith that we have. Our faith shouldn't never be that small. And our hopes and trust in God should never be that limited. 
Look at how he did this work for the Israelites. He not only parted the sea, but parted it in such a way that it gave them dry ground to go across. And when God wants to do a work in our life, he wants to do it to the fullest extent, and he will if we have the faith that he will. So rather than expecting God to just do little works in our lives, we need to let our faith grow and trust God to do something beyond our imagination, something that just blows us away. And if we do have the faith to ask for those kinds of miracles, he is a good father in heaven, and he will meet those expectations. So then verse 23 says, The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving, and the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Now I find this part really interesting. Because what we have taking place is even though Pharaoh is leading this army to chase down the Israelites, the whole Egyptian army is recognizing the power of God and really the wrongdoing that they are involved in in attacking the Israelite people who are God's people. They recognize God is fighting for the Israelites. And so what you have happening is the Egyptian people standing against Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt. You have the people turning against the leader. And we even talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when the Israelites were leaving, and it said that the Egyptians were favorably disposed towards the Israelites. Which is something that I never really put together. And usually when we talk about, you know, the Israelites being led out of Egypt, you know, growing up, I always kind of thought of it as, you know, the good Israelites and the bad Egyptians, which was really childish thinking now that I read more into what actually happened and what was taking place. Because the Egyptian people were not standing against the Israelites. It was only Pharaoh and his officials. And so that leadership of Pharaoh and his officials really did not reflect the attitude of the rest of the Egyptians. And yet so often, if you're like me, we kind of lump the Egyptians in with Pharaoh and his officials and say, well, these are the people that put the Israelites into slavery, and they were terrible people who stood against God's people. But just as how the passage was talking about the Egyptians being favorably disposed towards the Israelites, and now this passage where the Egyptians are saying, you know, God's fighting for them. Let's leave them alone. Let's get away. Let's stop this. What we see being reflected is that the Egyptians really were not standing against the Israelites. It was only Pharaoh and his officials. And the rest of the Egyptians were just caught up into it. And it's so easy to 
group people together and judge them as an entire group of people, especially based on the actions of just a few. Man, there are so many people who are not Christians who do that with Christians all the time, or even other Christians that do that with other Christians a lot. Where they say, I had such a terrible experience with this Christian, this believer. And so I'm going to view all Christians as being that way. When really, not all Christians are that way. Not all Egyptians were that way. It was only one or two. But it shaped a person's thinking. Maybe you're guilty of that. Maybe you've seen the actions of one or two people that you didn't approve of, and so you kind of lumped together everyone that was involved in that group and targeted them as a whole group rather than just that one or those one or two people. And that's not something that we should do, because that really is not fair to judge people on actions that weren't their own. And we should never judge individuals based on the actions of their leadership. And vice versa, we should never judge a person's leadership on the actions of those they are trying to lead. There is a big difference between Jesus and someone who claims they're a follower of Christ that doesn't really do so well. Rather than grouping people together, especially doing that in order to make it easier for us to despise them and punish them, is something that we should not do. Instead, we should judge each individual according to their own actions. And when I say judge them, I don't mean like condemn them, right? Scripture obviously talks about not judging unless you be judged. But I'm talking more about the part um, about recognizing the person's fruit and looking at their actions and, and understanding that there are consequences for certain actions and, and, you know, all of those things. And I've, you know, talked about that several times in the past. But especially, let's not group people together when we're doing that. Let's take each individual as an individual and look at their actions and their words and not group other people in along with that, just like how we wouldn't want people to do that with us. And I feel bad that I did that with the Egyptians who were clearly trying to end this, trying to get Pharaoh to end this madness and leave the Israelites alone. But unfortunately, Pharaoh led and the Egyptians followed. Not because they wanted to, but because of probably fear of what would happen if they disobeyed the Pharaoh. So that leads us to verse 26 now. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. 
The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Something that I think is worth noting from this is the fact that God had Moses close the sea. It wasn't really God who was doing it. It was more of God working through Moses, but it was as Moses stretched his hand over the sea and God telling him, stretch your hand over the sea. And then as he did it, the water went back to normal and crushed all of the Egyptians. And the reason I think that's so noteworthy is remember, Moses grew up in Egypt. And he grew up in, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. That was his home. Those were his people. And yet... God was telling Moses to end their lives. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for Moses? To stretch out his hand and allow those people, probably several people that he knew, friends that he had, people he grew up with, and allow them to be destroyed so that God's people could be saved. In that moment, Moses really had to choose whether he was going to continue to follow God's direction or cling on to his past. And in order to do what God was asking him to do, he really did have to let go of his past. He had to let go of Egypt and the Egyptians in order to stretch out his hand and let the waters collapse on them. And when I think of that, it it reminds me of when Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 14, and this is verse 26 of that chapter. But Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And when Jesus was saying that, he wasn't saying that you should hate your family members. But essentially what he's saying is, if you are not willing to put me before everyone and everything in your life, then you cannot be my disciple. Because if you're going to be my disciple, you really have to be all in. You can't go into this half-heartedly. And if you're not even willing, if, if you're not willing to put me above even your own family, the people who are closest to you, your loved ones. If you're not willing to do that, then you don't have what it takes to follow me. And that was especially true for Moses in this instant. That in order to follow God and do what God was asking him to do, he had to allow people that he grew up with to perish. But Moses knew and understood that obedience to God came above all else. And that's what God asks of us as well. That we always put God first in our lives. 
even above family, friends, loved ones. It doesn't mean that God wants us to go out and destroy people we care about. But are we willing to follow God even if it means going against people we love? Is God your Lord? Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Is he your king? And are you willing to follow him first and foremost? That's what Moses had to do, and that's what God asks of us as well. And so now we get to the last section here, verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Now I find this part of Scripture Humorous isn't really the right word, but maybe just eye-opening. Because you think about how long we've been in this Moses series, and all of the things we've talked about, and all the stuff we've gone through. And yet it wasn't until this moment when the Israelites finally trusted Moses. Which means that this entire time that Moses has been leading the Israelites that they didn't trust him. And in fact, we've talked about and read through sections of uh, Exodus where the Israelites stood against Moses. Just last week was another one of those passages. This entire time, Moses was leading the Israelites in the middle of opposition from said Israelites. And that really hit me as I was reading this passage, about Moses still leading the Israelites, still doing what God was telling him to do, even though they didn't trust him, they complained against him, they insulted him, the entire time, leading in the midst of opposition. And I think if we're going to talk about any characteristic of Moses that is really commendable, I think it would be this characteristic of his willingness to follow God in the face of any opposition. And again, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to follow what God is telling us, go where God is leading us, Are we followers of Christ just when it's easy or when there is opposition as well? And not just opposition from the world, but sometimes opposition from other believers and other followers of Christ, because we're not always perfect. And, you know, I had that whole series where I talked about Christians not being perfect, and I called it Why Do Christians Suck? And it was a three-part series, because sometimes we do suck. We are not nice people. But that doesn't mean that we should stop following God because of it. 
And Moses led. He didn't just separate himself from the Israelite people to follow God. Because God's calling for Moses was to the Israelite people. And so God followed, or Moses followed God to the Israelite people to help them. And the entire time he was helping them, they themselves were opposing him. Do we have that kind of tenacity in our faith? Willing to follow God in the middle of any opposition. And especially as I was thinking about this, I realized the similarity in this between Moses and Pharaoh. Because both Pharaoh and Moses were leading their people in the midst of opposition from them. I already talked about how the Egyptian people didn't want to pursue the Israelites, but Pharaoh led the charge anyways. And here we have the Israelite people saying, Moses, why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why did you, leave, why did you bring us here to die? Why did you come and cause all this trouble? And in the midst of that opposition, Moses continued to lead. So both Pharaoh and Moses were leading in the midst of opposition from their own people. And for one of those people, for Pharaoh, that was the wrong decision. And for Moses, that was the right decision. Which tells me that part of being a leader and part of following God, that it it doesn't come down to whether or not we're being opposed by people. And whether or not we're getting along with everyone. Following God isn't about being agreeable with everyone. It's about submitting to God's authority. Because really, that's what it came down to with Pharaoh and Moses. They had the similarity of both leading in the midst of opposition from their own people, but the difference was Pharaoh being unwilling to submit to God's authority and Moses, who was willing to submit to God's authority, even when it meant destroying the people he grew up with. That's what following God is about. Not about being agreeable with everyone, but being able to submit to his authority. Again, to not just call him our savior, who washes away our sins so we can go to heaven, but also to call him our Lord and our King, who we will follow and obey no matter what. And so before I put this series on hold for a while, this is really what I want us to get from the life of Moses. The importance of obedience and submission to God. Because if not for Moses' willingness to obey God, despite opposition, the Israelite people would not have been led out of their captivity. But because Moses was willing to obey and submit, God was able to do incredible, miraculous works through Moses. And if we want God to be able to work through us, then we need to have that same characteristic 
of obedience and submission to God. And that has been this Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me either on the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day, and I thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.